0: Hi, this is Tamson Granger.
1: This is Dan Abuhoff. Let
0: us Tamson and Dan read the paper on Sunday, May 1st. Happy birthday, Zeke. We are on location in Ventura, California with Pepper Abuhoff, Zeke Abuhoff, and Noel Borg. Say hi, Pepper.
1: All right. <laughs> I knew that was predictable. I think you'll hear enough from Pepper. Don't worry about it. Uh, Pepper will make our presence known. Uh, Yeah, so here we are in beautiful Ventura. Out on the left coast. Yeah, it's very nice. We've been by the ocean. There we go. And uh, we're going to try to do this podcast uh, with a little bit of a wild card, namely Pepper. Well, it's a family
0: conversation.
1: That's for sure. All right, so uh, there's a lot to talk about. We Um, flew out here. We did fly out here. To
0: celebrate Zeke's birthday. That's right. And to check out Pepper, see what she's up to. Turns out she knows her colors.
1: Yes, she does know her colors.
0: And uh, on the way, we actually were on a plane without masks. Yeah. And we were in the airport without masks. Right. Right. So we will report uh, in the future whether that had any consequences. Yes,
1: we did fine. Um,
0: but it was a shockingly it, it is comfortable funny. Yeah. trip, especially because it was not a full airplane.
1: Yeah, which it has wasn't been a full highly
0: report. unusual. So we're here. The weather's fabulous.
1: Yeah, I mean it's interesting that I guess now it's optional whether you wear a mask in the airport and on the airplanes, and I think we're here to report, and most people take the option of not wearing the mask, which. Uh,
0: you
1: know, no, but there were still a lot there, of mess. There were some mess, sure. Um, so, anyway, here we are, and uh, we have a big movie report. Big movie report, uh, in part because. Um, we were we, on a plane. Well, before we get to that. Uh, For six hours. Uh, the, um, the movie of the moment. The movie of the moment is. What's the movie of the moment? What's that called, Zeke? He... Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. And uh, Noelle and Zeke, who suddenly were awash in babysitters, took the opportunity to go see this movie. And uh, I think On, the op- big On the big screen. I think it's important screen. that you guys report uh, what you thought.
2: Alright, so this is Everything Everywhere All at Once, directed by Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, starring Michelle Yeoh. And I liked it. Did you like it, Noel?
3: I really liked it. We, I told your parents, we laughed, we cried. It was everything, everywhere, all at once. That
2: was, <laughs> well, that doesn't explain anything. For well, everyone. I
3: think it's... I mean, it, and part of me doesn't want to spoil too much of that's it. That's true.
2: We don't want to explain too
3: much. We don't, don't want to explain too much. Um, I think it's another movie that's come out this year that's t- touching on like intergenerational trauma and family trauma and how to deal and cope with some of that stuff. And that, I think that was one of the impactful things. Yeah. But they did some really fun, silly things in the movie as well. Um, I guess, like, maybe it's not a spoiler to say that they use the multiverse as part of it. But um, somebody, I think I read, described it as, like, it's a genre changing. So that it's not one any one thing. It's not a drama. It's not a comedy. It's not well, it's a sci- exclusively, like, a sci-fi There's
2: movie. a bunch of kung fu in it.
3: Yeah, so it flips around into lots of different things, and it's sort of refreshing to have all these different tones flipping through um, the movie. Yeah,
2: there's a bunch of different tones, a bunch of different uh, ideas and exciting visual tableaus, but they managed to bring it all together for a pretty compelling idea. So check it out. Well, I know
1: that Granger uh, and uh, Nico like it quite a bit. I mean, I read, we haven't seen it. I did read the article about the workings of the multiverse in the Times about the movie. And again, it's, it's been universally praised as far as I know. And they do make the point, when you say multiverse, well, that means that there are, theoretically at least for the purpose of the movie, many alternative universes. And uh, you know, they make whatever points they make in the movie, in part by going from one universe to the other. And in this article, uh, they talk about why that's useful to think things through in that way. The idea of there being multiverses, because, and they make an interesting point. Um, Daniel Kwan, one of the directors, says, you know, the realization that there are all these alternative universes,
3: in a sense, contributes to the thought that nothing matters. Nothing
1: matters as much as you think it matters, because when you make a decision, it isn't a final, singular decision. But uh, in the multiverse, everything gets played out every possible way. Um, And as he says, Kwan says. Um, that's a freeing thought. When everything matters, it's a quote, it's a horrifying experience navigating the world because every action is filled with regret and every action is filled with guilt in a way that can be crippling. Yeah, and the idea of a yeah, multiverse yeah. is one of the freeing thoughts you can possibly have. I mean, that's his philosophy. I don't know if yeah, that's Is that a strong theme in the film? Or is that yes, just... It is.
2: The idea rocking, that, that different
1: possibilities
2: can be freeing and kind of release you from some anxiety about your decisions that's definitely something they deal with in the movie um it's yeah it's interesting to see such like a a kind of high concept sci-fi idea um applied for such personal uh personal drama and like to really make good use of it with the characters in their lives
0: so yeah it's interesting stuff Right. So, did uh, when you mentioned it to uh, Granger this morning, did he have anything interesting to say?
2: Well, he about mentioned it? that he uh, had looked into it a little bit and found that apparently a lot of the effects in the film were practical. There's some uh, digital effects, but really a shockingly large amount of what happened to this film was just, you know, like built on the set, done with the cameras, done with their sets. And uh, that's kind of amazing because it's such a visually varied and explosive films a lot that you see a lot of kind of wild things that you see you know in these, these journeys across the multiverse so to know that they i don't know did that in real life in some form or another is uh i don't know pretty interesting kind of kind of exciting to think of people finding practical ways of doing all that
1: all right good <laughs> Alright, so we, we obviously, uh, obviously, but we did see some movies on the airplane, which are actually current movie, real movies. And um, the one that we both saw was uh, The Lost Order. And The Lost Daughter, which is, let's see, Lost Order, um, starring Olivia Coleman, Jesse Buckley, based on an huh? Elena Ferrante book, huh? and directed by Maggie oh. Gyllenhaal. Gyllenhaal. Oh. Oh. It no, easy? it's a Gillenhall. I it's looked doing... it up. But let me okay. tell you how much research I did on this. I actually what? found an interview with Jake Gillenhall. in which uh, Conan yeah. O'Brien says to Jake Gyllenhaal, what? you know, it's is Swedish, it? isn't it? He said, yeah. So he it says, it really is pronounced like, anyhow. Yes? Innhau. Yeah. And uh, Jake says, yeah, that's right. He says, it's interesting. The only two places I see it pronounced correctly are Sweden and Ikea. Okay. <laughs> So there you go, but it's going well. But in any event, uh, and that's a uh, that was a pretty challenging movie. I thought. What do you think, Thompson?
0: Well, you know, we we have always uh, since the movie came came out, we've been calling it the bad mother.
1: Yes, I have. It's my fault, um, right?
0: and uh, which is kind of right. Yeah, I mean, it's a little dark. Uh, I mean, the, the Ferrante books are tough. Is that right? They're, oh, they're, I thought they yes. weren't. I thought they were no, like crowd. They're tough because Naples is a tough place. Really, and uh, the. The um, the Naples series is about the relationship between two women. And it just, uh, it's just, it's a tough life and tough things happen. And, uh, you know, in turn, in, not in terms of like necessarily out and out ugly violence, mm-hmm. but just sort of emotional violence. Mm-hmm. And th- this film is no exception. This is based on a different novel. Right. But it has elements, uh, I think, taken from uh, the other series, and uh, it's uh, you know I wouldn't send just anybody to it. Right. Noelle is saying she hasn't been anxious to see it. I don't think she should be.
1: You know, (laughs) I think
0: it's it's not a laugh a minute uh, in terms of uh, um, well, yeah, yeah, motherhood and life and work and. So on and so forth.
1: Well, it, it is clearly a situation in which the main character, uh, played by Olivia Coleman, is overwhelmed by motherhood but and, and makes some interesting choices. Let's leave it at that without giving things away. But, you know, it's funny. When I looked at a couple of reviews, some took up the thought that uh, it's a real commentary, you know, the pressure put on young mothers and uh, how society deals with X or Y. But I read one or two interesting reviews who said, no, no that's not the way they see it. They see the character as unique, or at least singular, uh, creation of Ferrante, because she writes difficult novels. And uh, that uh, this person is just a person who's not sympathetic, the main character I mean, not even relatable, Uh, and yet uh, you're drawn into it, um, and that in the Ferrante book itself, it's one of those books in which it's narrated by someone who's not a reliable narrator. I don't know if you've run into that. I read about every once in a while books that I'm not a reliable narrator, and I always say to myself, I guess no one nodding. It kinda of drives me crazy. I said to myself, Really? You're gonna read the book? You don't really know what's going on? Because the narrator is seeing things in an odd way.
3: Well, isn't that like a postmodern idea?
1: I, I think it is, which is why I'm unfamiliar with it, because it's postmodern. <laughs>
3: um, I'm modern. Well, things. I mean, like the most the thing that I'm thinking of right now, which is sort of silly, is like there's an episode of Jane the Virgin that mm-hmm. is a Again, another spoiler I don't want to give away, but they tell you that they're an unreliable narrator at the beginning, and then something really shocking happens at the end of the episode. Yeah. um, Which I thought was an interesting way to do it, sort of like just how how they paint the episode. And it's sort of an answer to the phone happy and something sad happens. And so everything that, like the way they remember it is like, uh, it was such a perfect day. We were having such a perfect thing, and then this tragedy uh, unfolded. And sort of like, I don't know. I think that's an, an interesting way to tell a story, and it kind of tells you, as the viewer or reader, to like interpret it a certain way.
1: Right. I don't it, know that you have to think through how to interpret it because you don't things didn't necessarily happen that way. So in any event, it, it's a challenging movie, but I was drawn into it. Mm-hmm. I, I I was thought it was worth seeing. Yeah. It
0: was, uh, challenging, And we should say that uh, it's pretty realistic in terms of um, the stress uh, of a young mother's life. Sure. What's not realistic is, you know, how she deals with it, I yeah. think, um, necessarily. Uh, so, but, uh, and, and it is uh, quite scenic. Yeah. Takes a shot on location in Greece. Um so it, it was interesting. It was absorbing, but a little
1: dark. A little dark. All right. So I... Oh, and
0: keep in mind, Ferrante is a pseudonym, pseudonym right? Right. We don't know who is really writing whether it's stories. a man or a woman,
1: honestly. Um, I also saw a movie called The Jockey, which I had wanted to see, which is a story about a jockey, if you can believe it, directed by Clint Bentley, starring Clifton Collins Jr. and Molly Parker. And it really is kind of a low-budget indie about a jockey in uh, what I'll call middle-level tracks in the middle of the country. Perhaps It's not know. a documentary. Not a documentary, no. It's okay. And um, it's his story, and uh, you learn a little bit about the jockey's life and their travels and their challenges, and he's kind of reaching the end of his run because yeah. uh, he's in his early 40s. He can't do that kind of thing forever, and he has difficulties. And interesting, too, is that the... Uh, Whereas the uh, fronte novel was about motherhood. This was a little bit about fatherhood uh, in a funny sense because one of the main plot lines is um, the possibility of the arrival of the jockey who's his son. There's a question whether he's really his son or he's not and his reaction to that. Uh, so this was a kind of a, not a lot of dialogue, kind of scenic, kind of atmospheric music, but uh, also very absorbing. I thought. Well, Who should I see it? Who should see mean, it, too? I, uh, I don't know. I don't know who to recommend it me. It's a quiet movie. It's an atmospheric movie. Uh, I've heard some reviewers compare his category to just sort of an ultra-competent, middle-level guy like a Steve McQueen, kind of a tough guy doing his job who gets satisfaction from doing his job. He's not the greatest, and he, go, he goes through hardship, but he lives a, a satisfying life on his own terms. It, I don't know what else to say. I mean, it's... Uh, you what, what can I say? I like it.
0: And while you were watching the jockey, yeah, I watched I continued my Julia Child kick yeah. and watched a documentary called Julia that was recently made. Yeah. And uh, you know it was good. It satisfied me a little bit more. It's made by Julie Cohen and uh, Betsy West. Uh, Ron Howard is one of the producers. And, and as documentaries go, it was uh, pretty thorough, pretty well made, and um, I, you know, it satisfied me a little bit more than, you know, we've been watching the series, TV series, yeah. right. that is based on her life, that yeah. is um, not entirely accurate, so it was uh, fun to see. Um, some of the real cast of characters, you know, those no, still no. living that knew her, and uh, et cetera and so forth. And uh, and I enjoyed it. So Julia the movie is,
1: is,
2: no, you know, know, worth
1: seeing. Painless. Okay. All right. Uh, so we're still doing this, podcast. I have to say, we all have one eye on Pepper. But, uh, <laughs> and, you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, so there is <laughs> that element there that's kind of hovering around. It's a little bit like the unreliable narrator. Um but in any event, let's yeah, go okay. to uh, let's talk about fashion for a moment because we got to get back to something that we're all interested in, in particular, pepper. And uh, was it work clothes? What was it? What is it? Well, what's it called? Casual, um, power casual, something like
3: that. Paper. Okay, yes. it says the office beckons. So, what are we wearing now? Power yes, what are we wearing now? Is a new buzzword in retail. So, this is about the idea that uh, people are returning to the office and. They don't necessarily want to wear the structured and pieces, exactly yes. like yes. that. Right. And hey,
1: yes, yeah, they don't
3: want to wear. They want something that's more open um, for their <laughs> their outfits. They wanna they wanna be comfortable going into the office. And this article kind of suggests that like employers are being more relaxed about this because they're just happy that people are still working for them because that's where the economy is. Um, and I relate to this a lot, having had a baby during the pandemic and have now working remotely. It's like sort of like you want you want to look professional. You are sort of I feel a little bit yeah. schlubby coming out of the pandemic, having worn all these cl- maternity clothes, etc., um, and wanting to have something that looks nice. Um, but other people are like kind of upset about it. People who work in law and government because they can't find the clothes that they need to wear for these more formal workspaces online anymore. Places like Ann Taylor, um, Banana Republic are not really yeah. accommodating. They, they have sundresses for They don't have work clothes
0: don't. anymore? Well, they've changed the work clothes. See, that, that seems to be the problem. One of the um, consultants in the yeah. article says uh, for people to find just Normal work clothes. They're sending them to used clothing stores. Oh, you're kidding me! Yeah, that's and unbelievable. Because, you know yeah. because the, the stuff that's being sold in the stores are more responding to our feeling we want to be freer, more casual. Yeah, uh, we want to wear sweatpants with a blazer. Right. You know, even though now uh, in the office people will see you more more than just the waist up, but you want that sort of, as Noelle said, the freedom. Uh, well, what, the, what, what about the clothes? What about the clothes
1: you had before you? Can't you just wear those? And
0: some people are wearing those. So it, I think in the article it mentions somebody says, "Well, you know, the next meeting I go to, I will not. I'll look pretty good. I've been scrambling around. I'll look good, but I won't look 2022. I'll look 2015."
3: Right. Mm, yeah.
0: Um. So. So you know, for many women, that's a frustration to. Look yeah. Out of style. You know.
3: Yeah. I mean, I feel like having worked in LA tech, like, prior to the pandemic was working in LA tech. So these are people who, like, live on the beach. It's also tech. So, like, you know, the people who are the best at their job are wearing hooded sweatshirts and jeans to work. Um, And so it was already this, like, weird... To me, it's like, I'm excited for this movement because I'm, like... It was hard to thread the needle between wanting to look somewhat professional and also looking casual... And it's much more appropriate for my life as, like, a mom and remote worker and wanting to meet up with my friends on the weekend and look somewhat stylish, but also, like, comfortable and able to move around and chase after a one-and-a-half-year-old. Um, so you said more
1: casual. You're looking for more casual.
3: I'm looking for this nice mix, this blend that they're kind of talking about, which is, like, the style... Stylish but also casual. Nice. I think which there, which nobody
0: is selling. You know one other thing I found interesting? Yeah. Shoes. They mentioned that oh, yeah, they
3: talk about before
0: shoes. the pandemic, it was all about heels. Mm-hmm. And if you had to, you wore sneakers on the um, Metro or right. whatever and yeah. changed. Uh, but now the demand is for low heels and flats. Really? They say you can't buy ballet flats, you know. Because they're out consignment of consignment
3: anymore because they don't, like, everybody's buying them up.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? So they, they really, it's not just, uh, you know, uh, I was never a fan. If you're really trying to walk a lot, you can't really wear those no. heels. Uh, and yet they were all the rage. So it would be interesting if uh, they're more stylish. Choices in uh, shoes you can actually function in. Yeah, no, that
1: would be interesting because that was uh, people used to just wear sneakers to work and then put on their heels when they got there.
0: Yeah, although when I started working, I never After that, getting a, my MBA, it was sensible pumps. Right. And then uh, people said, no, we don't want to look like men when we go to work. We want to look like women. We're going to wear our heels. Yeah. And uh, so we'll see what happens. That's I can't believe you
3: did that anyway. I cannot believe. What? Like wearing sensible pumps walking five oh. miles a day.
0: Well, sensible pumps you could walk five miles a day. It's when people switched over to, you know, seriously fashion heels. Yeah. That they began to really um, wear the comedian nah. shoes and having the, uh, nah. you know, their closet in, in the office full of fancy shoes.
3: Yeah. yeah. I also think it'll be interesting as, like, you know, Gen Z moves along. And I feel like there's a lot less emphasis on that formality, and there's a lot of like loose fitting clothing that's coming up as like very hip, and definitely like sneakers. Platform sneakers are all the rage right now, so it's really? this interesting like, <coughs> phenomenon. That's going yeah,
0: on. and the thing about flat flatform, platform sneakers, though, they can be comfortable. Am I right? Yeah, platforms I think so. are generally pretty comfortable. All right, the uh, you, you, museum update.
3: Comfort is in. Museum
0: update. Ding, ding, ding. So they had the uh, special museum section in the Times this week, which I wasn't really thinking about. There's all You know, and, and we're still working our way back to uh, going to museums, etc. And, uh, I, you know, I was, I was telling Zeke I was, you know, looking at things for us, you know, family field trips over the weekend, and I noticed that Oxnard had an art museum. And then I also noticed it closed several years ago um, because of budget, budget constraints. And uh, they were having dire circumstances with their budget. And they found they could reduce expenditures by something like $500,000 a year if they didn't open the museum. So, so anyway, so uh, all these things are still struggling. But if you're going to the Met, well, you're not going to the Met tomorrow because it's the night of the Met Gala. Okay, so talk about silly clothes.
1: Yes, um,
0: and I I feel like last year they were exceptionally
1: bizarre. Well, well, I, I think this is the Gilded so Age. So we'll we'll,
0: we'll see what uh, how it looks, um, but certainly uh, the Met has been getting a lot of notoriety for fashion, and they have a uh, fashion exhibition opening up about uh, American fashion, and it's in two parts. One's called a Lexicon of American Fashion, and I guess it takes you through uh, the centuries in style and uh, explains the different styles. That's in the, um, you know, costume area of the Met. But they're also doing a series of uh, um, fashion displays in in certain period rooms uh, upstairs. Oh,
3: interesting. Yeah, that so that,
0: that'd be fun to walk through as well. Also in the Met, we, uh, we had talked before about there's a Winslow Homer exhibition called Cross Currents. There's some Jacques-Louis David uh, drawings uh, on display. There's some early paintings by Louise Bourgeois. We think of her as a um, sculptor, at least I do, largely. Um, uh, We can see another side of her in her paintings. That'll be on through August, I think. Um, Let's see, anything else at the Met? No, those are the biggies for the moment. If you want to go down to the New York uh, Historical Society, did you all ever go to the New York Histori-
3: Historical Society? I don't think so. Do you did me, Zeke? I don't
0: recall. Uh, it 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 is kind of a fun place. It has an amazing collection of, uh, you know, one of those open shelves situations showing off all their Tiffany uh, lamps oh. and things on one floor. But anyway, uh, an interesting... An, exhibition of interest to me there is uh, of uh, black dolls interesting and uh, I'm fascinated by uh, the history of uh, black dolls whether they're rag dolls or the you know the porcelain dolls etc that I think would be a lot of fun to see and also an exhibition about uh, you know celebrating the 50th anniversary of, of title 9 and since title 9 tremendously affected my life by putting me on a women's hockey, ice hockey team. Uh, I may find that interesting. Um, so, and if you have any time left, if you can go to uh, the Museum of uh, Natural History, you will see, um, where did I write this down? A, an exhibition about bugs.
3: Bugs. Pepper, you know about bugs.
0: Bugs. Okay. Um, the opening in June uh, in the American Museum of Natural History in uh, the bug section uh, will be a um, display of, uh, I guess, 40 insects by Levon Biss, a macro photographer who shoots extreme close-ups of very small subjects. The photographs themselves are huge. Uh, So they really, they shoot these things with a microscope and then are able to blow them up to a tremendous size. And it's going to include, like I said, 40 different ones taken from, selected from the museums, more than 20 million specimens oh, you're kidding. that they have of bugs. Million. 20 million. It's going to include, they wanted to include something iconic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can see a ladybug.
3: Uh, Ooh, you know about ladybugs. Up close
0: and personal Ouch. in a giant size. I'm trying to find where uh, the um, okay. the majority of the Ow. images were made from over 10,000 separate Ow. shots. And took approximately three weeks to produce. So uh, they're quite interesting. They'll have both uh, you know, the, the monarch butterfly, the um, Puritan tiger beetle, the Hawaiian hammer-headed fruit fly. So it's, it's some uh, extinction sort of success stories and also just uh, some well-known uh, bugs to look at. They wanted to try to create beautiful, amazing art uh, from these bugs because people usually think of insects as something annoying that we need to get rid of. Mm-hmm. So that would be fun. That's at the Natural Museum, the Museum of Natural History. The exhibition on the macro uh, photographs by Mister mm-hmm. Biss uh, starts in June.
3: I think Pepper would love that exhibit if only
0: you live near <coughs> her. Well, knows nice like Well, yeah, but uh, you're coming. You might be coming east in July, and who knows? Maybe you'll pass through
3: New York. Yeah, yeah. you could well, pop maybe in.
0: We'll, maybe the
1: exhibit will find its way out here.
3: Yeah. Well, Pepper loves to uh, lay down on the sidewalk and observe ants and bees. Well, she doesn't so... need the
1: blow ups then. She's getting to see them close up.
3: Yeah.
1: Oh. Mm. Um, yeah. So then we have a big development. In baseball. Oh, 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 pepper. Pepper, pepper, pepper. Uh, the, uh, yeah, baseball. She's all excited. The, the Mets pitch the no-hitter. Uh, Zeke and I are going to talk about this. Uh, you know, Zeke, uh, what do you think of that? Mets way, I thought it
2: was just incredible. I was glued to the screen the right. whole time. So <laughs> you can sense
1: this sarcasm in <laughs> Zeke's way. See, here, here's the problem. Here, here, here's the question. Fathers and sons are supposed to bomb over baseball, right? And Zeke for some reason for some for some you know flaws in his DNA is not a baseball fan is that a fair statement either? not a baseball fan. so how has this you know affect our relationship that's a question oh, I mean is yeah. this uh do you feel that we're not as close as we might otherwise be because you failed to follow the game as closely as you ought to or how do you see it? it
2: makes you think I didn't watch it with pepper either
1: well no you've, got got to, to you've got more you've got time this. but it's a father-son thing it's a father-son thing you know Graves is a Met fan. Tell
0: us something interesting about it. Why should he have watched it?
1: Well, here it was. The Mets have only one no-hitter to date prior to the other night. And uh, that one was a little bit... Does he even know what a
0: no-hitter
1: is? It's when nobody gets a hit. Nobody gets a hit. Right. In any event, uh, they had what's called a combined no-hitter because the starting pitcher did not pitch the whole thing. Five different pitchers. And to show you the, the level of excitement... Okay, I'm going to read you a quote from Pete Alonzo, whose name I mentioned to you earlier today, the Met First Baseman, about the event and what it felt like in the ninth inning. Here's the quote. He said, you get this, like, super tingly feeling of excitement. You're like, I hope this is it. I hope he doesn't hit a broken bat duck fart over somebody's head or anything. You're just playing praying like, please, please don't let this happen. So you're praying against the duck fart, basically. And in fact, the prayers were answered. There was no duck I fart. I don't and, know what
3: a duck fart is. Can we explain to the audience? <laughs> it's <a>
1: technical term.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagining a duck, you know, farting. Yeah. So what
1: he means is just you know a, a ball that's not struck particularly hard. It's a little bit of a pop up that happens to land in or something like that, and is an accidental hit that would destroy the no hitter. So, we, but you could lose it by accident, and uh, they didn't lose it by accident. They won the game. They got the no hitter. <laughs> And it was, you know, it's an accomplishment. It's something that, you know, they play 162 games. It's one night, the glory lasts for whatever the 12 hours or 14 hours until the next game. This you can hold on to. You build on it. You know, it helps the uh, relationships in the clubhouse. It uh, bonds everybody.
0: I may have dozed <laughs> off. I, who are the guys who.
1: The Mets. Hit? That's the no hitter against what, the Which
0: what, what pitchers?
1: Oh, God. You, you don't, don't know even these know. Pitchers. I do, but What's you're not going to know them. You know, McGill. You, you
0: well, know first of saying? all, they're all Mets.
1: They're all, all right, there's a level of interest here. Let me switch to something else. It was a big deal just because the Mets don't have many no hitters.
0: So, so you don't know. I do know, but Good the critical pitcher in the
1: ninth inning was Edwin Diaz, and uh, he uh, he finished the job. So um, enough of that. Enough Mets. I'd love to talk baseball forever with you guys, but I, you know, we got to move on. The Final story: There was some correspondence in the New York Times, a letter to the editor responding to an article about the role of uh, grandparents uh, stepping in and helping support uh, the parents of dire circumstances, which you don't have here. But that said, they got a letter from a woman named Victoria Bissell-Brown of Averton, Pennsylvania, who happened to be writing uh, a book uh, called The Nana Project about uh, grandmothers and their roles throughout the years beginning in the 1950s. And so she wrote this letter to promote her book. And... Um, She says, and you guys can uh, opine on this or not, one notable change from then to now. Grandfathers in the 1950s were not active in their care, the children, the way older men are today. Another example of how feminism has improved family life. All right, Can you imagine that? The grandfather not being a key uh, resource for the grandchildren?
0: Well, tell us yeah, was your grandfather a key resource?
1: Oh, God, no. <laughs> no. No, my grandfather wasn't. But uh, I thought my father was good with the kids.
0: Yes. And your father actually babysat the kids sometimes.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, and, and we, Probably we,
0: more than your mother did, to yeah. be honest. And my we, mother was still we
1: babysat it in the sense that we would go out to a movie, or go out to eat or something, and he was by himself. <laughs> so uh, he was a good resource. And, of course, you know, um, you know he was a resource. Well, so, not on this trip, but you've gotten a taste of solo babysitting recently. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is funny because. Who,
0: who taught Hazi how to crawl?
1: Who taught Hazi? <laughs> well, it is funny. Look, well, you know, the truth of the matter is that there were some times that their assistance was requested in Denville for Hazi. And it was always, um, is Tamsin available? Is mom available? Is the grandmother available? And then once in a while, Tamsin couldn't make it. And I had to pipe up and say, you know, I could do this. And I think there was a long pause and some deep thinking went on. And they said, well, okay. And, of course, Hazy and I get along famously. No? Oh, yeah. I think we do. Yes. Yes. Within certain parameters. Well, look, I, I made a deal with Hazy so at the beginning. You no know
0: diaper change parameters. I said
1: to Hazy, I know you don't want your diaper changed, and I don't want to change your diaper. So we're seeing it the same way. So you've got nothing to worry about. So that's worked out. That relationship's worked out. Okay, so that's all we have. And the question is, are we going to close by singing Happy Birthday to Z. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Zeke. Happy birthday to you. Yay! Yay. Pepper's excited. All right, so uh, we'll see you next week. This is Tamsin Granger. Uh, And Dan
0: Abihuahua. With Tamsin and Dan Read the Paper. With special guests, Pepper, Pepper, Noel, and Zeke. See you you next week.
1: Bye-bye.